Learning scripture, knowing Christ. Welcome to the Hashtag One Fear podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hashtag One Fear podcast. This week, once again, we have myself and Benj in the upper room to talk about some, uh, well, we're actually going outside of the Old Testament. I was going to say, yeah, because we, we'd like to talk about the Old Testament. I don't know if you're know. aware, but they came out with a new one. <laughs> yeah. It, Sometimes I forget that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he brought something up that really intrigued me uh, with the connections between Mark chapter 5 and Isaiah, what was it, 64 through 66? Yeah, six, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that tail end of the, the book of Isaiah there. Yeah, this is some stuff that... Uh, actually, a student of mine, uh, when I was teaching Isaiah a few years ago, um, wrote a small, like a short paper discovering some of these parallels, and I thought it was very interesting and creative. And so we decided to to start pulling the threads together, yeah, and uh, and found found even more. So um, it's really really interesting. I think we have to remember that um, the gospel writers are not just not just recounting events of Jesus's life for our benefit, even though that is part of it. But as the, as the book of John says, right at the end, John says, there's so many things that Jesus did and said, and there's too many to write down or recount, but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the son of God and that believing you might have life uh, through his name. So all of the gospel writers are being selective and they're presenting Jesus to us so that we might believe and so that we might believe that yeah. he is the fulfillment of all of God's uh, redemptive plans starting in Genesis and leading to what would become the book of Revelation. So 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 seeing ways that that the writer of the gospel uh, of Mark chapter 5 is framing his stories, presenting us his stories to connect Jesus's actions to these, the ending of the book of Isaiah is, uh, is very interesting. And it's not, some of these people have recognized before, um, scholars have recognized uh, some connections and also a lot of, just generally, there's a lot of Isaianic language in, in the Old Testament, but it's, sorry, in the New Testament, but especially in, in the book of, of Mark. So, um, but I think there's some some really interesting things here, and it helps us to see what Jesus is doing as a new a second dimension to his his displays of of power and compassion and love, and and how what he does in our personal you know for for individuals it relates to what he does yeah. for for all of humanity and and for for the world. And looking through the New Testament, especially the Gospels too. Uh, at first glance, it's always like, well, <clears throat> the Old Testament that when it shows up in the in the New is when it's quoted, mm-hmm. and I think that's a, a big error that we make to assume that a lot of, especially in the Gospels, uh, that the writers only quoted like that. That to me is just a big error because there's so many reflections of the Old Testament uh, from what happens in the Exodus with the birth of Jesus. Yep. You know, when he had to, when he had to escape. Uh, so we'd call those echoes or, yeah. or illusions. And they're a little bit tricky because 
because obviously quotations would be a lot easier. I mean, it's yeah. nice. It's nice when Matthew tees it up real nice. Like, I'm know, thinking is, of this verse. You know, <laughs> this is to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet yeah. so and so, right? Yeah. And then he quotes it, right? Um, it gets tricky when sometimes he quotes. Yeah, sometimes the quotations don't exactly line up. Yeah. Um, but that, that's another um, can of worms. But but it's learning to hear these these echoes or allusions. Um, that we really see the richness of what the gospel writers uh, and and of course the the apostles writing uh, the the epistles the apostles writing the epistles um, what they're doing as well and uh, sometimes it gets a little bit hard to detect um, there's and and it's debatable as well echoes are not as clear as um, as quotations or direct citations so scholars will debate yeah. them but. You know. Echoes seem to be a little quieter than the original voice. Yes, yeah. they always are. Yeah, a little bit. A little, <laughs> a little, little, little bit. Little. <laughs> uh, and then, I mean, this is probably another episode that we can do down the road, but use of uh, literature that is not in the Old Testament that oh, yeah. shows up in the New Testament. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's a whole fun. That's whole fun thing. Let's not that. open that can of worms. Yeah, that, yet. That's, a, that's a can of. <laughs> that's we have many cans of worms on yeah, our. Yeah, these shelf. are night crawlers. <laughs> yes, yeah. we can we can save them for later because they're canned. Those worms will keep. Yeah, they they'll be there when we get there. <laughs> All right, but yeah, let's uh, let's explore uh, these echoes, these uh, different parts of. Uh, Mark 5. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I didn't write it down. Mark 5 and Isaiah 64 64 to to 66. All right. So without any further ado, here we go. That's a little dance there. You did. (laughs) Chickity. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So uh, Mark chapter five uh, covers a couple events. Yeah. Uh, So how about we go, how about we start with that to get ourselves familiar with what's happening in chapter five of Mark, uh, which it is the, um, the demon possessed man legion. Right. uh, Right. With that story. uh, Verses one to 20. And then the. And you have what, the, what Mark does is uh, he does this quite a few times where he he'll have a story that's like sandwiched inside of another story. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it starts out verse 21 with the synagogue ruler uh, asking Jesus to heal his daughter who's very sick. And then in the midst of that story, as Jesus is heading through the crowd to Jairus's house, there's the story of the woman who has um, the flow of blood um, that she needs to be. Um, she's been unable to be uh, to find healing, um, and so she reaches and touches touches Jesus, presses through the crowd, and he says, "Who touched me?" And he feels power go out of him, and um, then the woman confesses what has happened, and then Jesus says, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. So go in peace and be cured of your disease." Which is very scandalous to say that. It, yes, <laughs> yes, but then, um, then the the the. It resumes the story of the the synagogue official and his daughter, and a man arrives, meets meeting them in the crowd, saying, "No need to trouble the teacher anymore because your daughter has died." But um, Jesus then insists on going to Jairus's house, and there he takes just Peter, James, and John, and the daughter, the girl's parents, and um, and heals the 
the girl there. Um, and uh, so that's, those are sort of the, those are the three stories yeah. um, that we know, we don't have to read them in detail. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I think one thing we should point out, because uh, we kind of just glossed over the, de- the demon possessed man, mm-hmm. uh, de- uh, possessed by Legion, for we are many, uh, it says. And where they go is into the swine. And then the swine then jump over a cliff yes. and drown in, yes. uh, in water. So this is important that, um, that's a good point that, yeah, that, that's the, <laughs> the, there's several times where Jesus encounters people who are possessed by demons, but this is the one where there are, where yes, he sends demons into, into these pigs. And that's a, a, a theme that we see throughout these three stories. You have three people who are in desperate situations, the demon possessed man, um, the synagogue ruler, or really his daughter, but he's desperate. Um, and then the woman and each of their, the, the, the encounter that Jesus has with each person had takes Jesus into contact with, um, what we, what we, what would have been considered ritual impurity according to the Mosaic law. So for the woman who has this flow of blood, um, women were considered ritually impure throughout their period and then for up to seven days afterward, and they had to go through a cleansing process. Um, a, a corpse, a dead body is considered, touching a corpse renders someone ritually impure for seven days. So touching the girl's body uh, to take her by the hand and raise her up would have made Jesus impure. And of course, hanging out in the tombs um, where the um, this demon-possessed man uh, hangs out would be a place of ritual impurity. Um, you pointed out the pigs, um, the fact that yeah. this is a place where people are herding pigs. Those are, of course, ritually uh, impure. Um, even a more kind of impurity because it's it's an unclean animal. It's not um, just kind of a, there's different degrees of, of impurity. Um, and then it also is seems apparent that when Jesus Jesus arrives in the, for this first encounter in the region of the Gerasenes, um, that this is a Gentile area. So uh, the Gentiles were there's again. It's not not like all uncleannesses are the same, but Gentiles would have be would not have been able to come before the God of Israel in worship until they had gone through some sort of um, transformation process, circumcision, yeah. conversion. Um, and well, so all well, of even, in each of these stories, Jesus is, is encountering uncleanness and that's part yeah. of how, of what he overcomes in order to affect, uh, healing and, um, and give life. Yeah. I was going to say even, uh, temple life, uh, there was a designated area outside the inner parts of the temple for, non-Jewish people to go to mm-hmm. uh, the, the outer court or Gentile court, whatever yeah, the, court yeah. of the Gentiles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that just goes to show how, how, uh, what's the word? Like they wanted to keep that the norm. Like, yeah, you know, like we don't want to change that. If, if it's supposed to be clean, we got to keep it clean. Exactly. Uh, if it's supposed to be pure and holy, we got to keep it like that. Constantly, consecrated. And, uh, I don't know if the attempt out of making uh, trying to make it respectful towards God kind of reduced the value of others. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting because 
you do have passages in both the the Pentateuch and in like Ezekiel 44, which speak about how Gentiles, you know, non non Israelites in varying degrees are excluded from the assembly of the Lord. Um, now, what does that mean? Does that mean they can't be part of Israel at all? Does that mean that they have limited yeah. rights? Does that mean they can only they can't go and worship in the tabernacle or the temple? But you also have passages like I, this conclusion of Isaiah, Isaiah fifty six, that speaks about the the foreigners and the eunuchs who would have been excluded from Yahweh's uh, assembly, that their sacrifices will be acceptable if they hold fast to Yahweh's covenant and keep His Sabbaths. Um, and chapter sixty six even says that some of them will be Levites and priests before the Lord. So there's almost there's two kind of strands of of teaching in the Old Testament. One is that we have to keep this keep the sanctuary pure according to God's rules, but then also God is going to change those rules and accept people that had yeah. previously been considered unacceptable, not by relaxing the rules, but by making those people holy, right? Yeah. Which points us to to the New Testament as well and what 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 Christ accomplishes for yeah. for all nations. So, but then maybe we should, uh, we can look at, w- with those kind of stories in mind, that basic framework for these three stories, um, let's take a look at Isaiah 63, 64, 65, 66, and not, I'm not going to read them all, of course, but <laughs> um, you really should, though. Actually, Isaiah 63, 7 through the end of 64 is one prayer, and it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's, um, it's just a beautiful penitential prayer that recounts the story of God's relationship to Israel, um, how he, uh, he, he is their father, is what it says. You know, anyone who tells you that uh, Jesus is the first one to use the idea of God being our father, you know, you can, you can punch them. Uh, I give you permission to punch, punch those people um, <laughs> ver- verbally. You can punch them verbally with this passage, which says, you are our father though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us, you, Yahweh, are our father. Our redeemer from ancient times is your name. Um, But there's also a sadness and a desperation to this prayer because um, despite all that Israel has been through, they're still not uh, experiencing this full relationship with Yahweh. And it's this speaks into a time when they've, been to exile, they've come back from exile, and yet things are not um, as they as they should be. And so this is why in verse in chapter sixty four, verse one, it says, "Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down; that the mountains would quake at your presence." Um, verse two, that the nations might tremble at your presence. Um, and then, and yet, so he wants God to arrive, but the problem is that God can't come close to His people. So the prophet thinks because of their sins and their impurities. So 64 verse six, um, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and all of us wither like a leaf and our wrongdoings like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have surrendered us to the power of our wrongdoings. So, uh, and this use of this term filthy garment here in uh, verse six, 
Um, it's something that, uh, you know, is also made reference to in, I think uh, Paul uses a similar term, but uh, in, in the New Testament, but this word in Hebrew uh, actually re- actually refers to the cloth of menstruation that woman a woman would use during her period. Um, and so this is something that is not just, um, r- you know, repulsive to someone who sees it or would touch it, but also renders you ritually unclean and represents ritual uncleanness uh, in its um, in a, in an acute form. And so this this is a way of figuring the alienation that the people of Israel have experienced from their God because of their sins. So because of their sins, this is what, this is how God looks at them. Yeah. Right. Um, but here you can already start to see, and this is where my, my student Sage um, started to uh, start to pull the thread on some of these parallels because she saw, okay, there's this woman in Matthew five who is experiencing this, this constant flow of blood for 12 years, unable to be healed. And um, then you have this reference in Isaiah 64, 6. But then it also says, there's no one who stirs to take hold of you. And that's the woman who, the woman who resolves to go and try to take hold of Jesus or just touch his garment and knows that she will be saved, is the word. Um, whereas in verse 5, the, the prophet asks, and, and can we still be saved? Um, and then it says, you have hidden your face from us. Well, the woman hid, hid her face from the crowd because she didn't want to be recognized, um, hid her face from Jesus as well because she didn't yeah. want to be um, revealed as someone who was in a state of uncleanness. Um, but she was, she was confident that if she just touched, if she could just take hold of Jesus, then that would, yeah, just that the would hem, heal her. The hem of his robes. Yeah. yeah. So, so then you have this, this prayer, Isaiah 64, that, or it concludes in Isaiah 64, and then 65, the answer just starts in. There's no introduction, you know, thus says the Lord. Um, it just, it's clear that it's Yahweh speaking. And this is his response. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation which did not call on my name. I have spread out my hands all day long to a, re- a rebellious people who walk in the way that is not good, following their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit among graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, and the broth of unclean meat is in their pots, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me for I am holier than you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. So there we start to see even more the echoes of um, the story that comes before uh, the woman, the, the, um, this man who lived among the tombs um, in a place where they're herding swine, they're herding pigs. um, And who says to the, you know, when he, when Yahweh, or when, when Yahweh incarnate, Jesus comes and he says, you know, what have you, you know, what have I to do with you? Keep away. Basically, what, what business do we have? We, we know who you are. And there's this um, sort of repulsiveness, right? But even though, and, and, and what, what God is saying in Isaiah 65 is not, 
he's he's not saying I um I'm keeping away from you because you're awful. He's saying I tried to reach out to you. I stretched out my hands <laughs> to you all day long to rebellious people and you continued in your in your sins which are figured as ritual impurity sitting among the graves the dead bodies eating pig's flesh um and and then thinking of themselves as being holier holy enough that they don't need to be um don't need to be redeemed in any way um so you can start to see this sort of like again the the imagery of ritual impurity is is showing us the the moral alienation of God from his from his people. Sorry, okay, I was anything, reading. Okay. No, I was I reading. Anything Sorry. strikes you that's interesting <laughs> on that? No, all of the, I mean, all of it is just really interesting because of those connections. Uh, I, I've never seen these connections before <laughs> until you, you pointed them out. Like, that's why I'm geeking out a little bit here. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I can show you a couple more and then maybe we can uh, jump back to, to Mark and see what. Yeah. What are there any more with the demon possessed man? Or is, was um, that it? Let me look and see what I, uh, let's see. There's, well, when the man is healed, then he, um, he comes to Jesus or he asks, let's see, I want to get the exact wording right here. So I'm hopping back and forth between the passages. Um, so uh, the man, he wants to accompany um, Jesus and, but the Lord says, uh, Jesus says to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And that's how the prayer of Isaiah 63 and 64 starts out was, I will tell of the mercies of the Lord. Mm, yeah. Recount the mercies of the Lord. Um, and uh, so that's at least a kind of a light parallel. Again, when you're thinking about echoes, you can't just look at little things like that because you know the word mercy is a pretty common word. But once you have some stronger, more specific yeah. echoes, then you hear the fainter ones a bit louder yeah. if they're in close proximity. And it's a little bit debatable. But um, but then when we get to the, the, again, the story of the woman, of the little girl and the woman, um, jumping back to Isaiah 66, you have this, uh, let's see, Isaiah 66. Um, Isaiah 66 begins, this is what Yahweh says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool for my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things, so all these things came into being, declares Yahweh. But, to, but I will look to this one, at one who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word, right? And this is um, the, the woman came trembling before um, Jesus when the fact that he had, yeah. somebody had touched him uh, was exposed. Um, as we continue, the one who slaughters an ox, a perfectly clean act, is like one who kills a person, a murderer. One who sacrifices a lamb, again, another clean act, is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Ew. One who offers a grain offering is like one who offers pig's blood. And one who burns incense is like one who blesses an idol. As they have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations, so I will choose their punishments and bring on them what they dread. Um, 
So he's flipping the script here. He's saying the people who are bringing clean, clean sacrifices, clean things, they're actually unclean because of their rebellion, because they don't tremble at Yahweh's word. Um, continuing in verse four, because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. Instead, they did evil in my sight and chose uh, that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of Yahweh, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you, who exclude you on account of my name, have said, let the Lord be glorified so that we may see your joy, but they will be put to shame. And so this word exclude you on account of my name is a word another word that refers to exclusion on the basis of, of menstrual impurity. So people who are think of themselves as holy and clean, who are offering these ostensibly clean sacrifices, they are mocking someone and excluding them who has actually trembling at Yahweh's word, but he says they will be, they will be put to shame, the ones who, who mock. And so we see this similar situation where the woman who is someone who has been shamed in the eyes of society because of circumstances beyond her control, um, but who fully trusts in Yahweh and trembles at his word and has full faith that God can save her, comes and takes this act of faith and touches Jesus. She strives to take hold of him and she is, she is healed and God receives the glory. Yeah. So I have a quick question. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, like, I, I get that Israel's been rebellious, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, all this kind of stuff's going to happen. In 65 verse 1, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. Is he referring to that same rebellious people who are Israelites or those who are not Israelites? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Because if so, here we're looking at uh, the demon-possessed man. This woman that is, you know, like she's impure. And then this, this little girl who is raised back to life, mm-hmm. who is a, uh, the daughter of a synagogue. The, huh? a synagogue uh, yeah. So it's kind of like, well, these people are, that are considered insignificant in comparison to Israel. Are, is he, is this the calling out of them? Yeah. Calling yeah. to them. Um, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to answer it this way. So in verse 8, uh, 65.8, he says, um, just as the new wine, th- this is what Yahweh says, just as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for there is benefit in it. So I will act in behalf of my servants in order to not destroy all of them. All right. So, uh, uh, Dimitri Martin, one of my favorite comedians, talks about a cluster of grapes, how he's like, grapes are the most hopeful uh, fruit, because if you get a bad one, oh, there's always another one. You can <laughs> hopeful, right? And so here in this, in this image of the cluster of grapes, there's, there's some bad ones. It's maybe mostly bad ones, but there's still some good ones in there. And this is where the, the whole tone of, or trajectory of 65 and 66 starts to move towards this sorting yeah. of Israel by and large has not been faithful, but there are faithful servants and they're going to get sorted out and yeah. saved from amongst the people. But then there's also servants that are not currently um, called 
but they will be. So verse 15, my servants will be called by another name. Um, and and so, so it's the inclusion of the Gentiles. So back to your question about verse one, um, verses one and two are actually quoted at the end of uh, at the end of Romans 10. And Paul interprets verse one as referring to Gentiles, um, those I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me, right? So yeah. like, that's what happened to the Gentiles is they were found by, they didn't seek them, seek, seek Yahweh. But then verse two, he says, applies to the Jews. I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way that is not good. So I'm not yeah. sure if that's exactly what is being referred to in 65 and one and two, or, but yeah. it's clearly there, the yeah. idea of- It seems like Paul is assuming that though. He's assuming that, yeah. right. Right, that yeah. there's this, this gen, Jew and Gentile, um, it, the Jews, Jew, and, Jew and Gentile distinction is not gonna be relevant anymore. It's really <laughs> those who seek, or those who tremble at Yahweh's word and those who are his serve his true servants, whether they're Jews yeah. or Gentiles, are going to be accepted. But those who um, who are rebellious, who walk in the way that is not good, who um, who are rebellious, who who don't, you know, who refuse to repent, Jews and Gentiles, they're yeah. going to be excluded. I, I like how Paul writes, and Isaiah boldly says, "Yeah, I, I was found by those who did not seek me." That's right. <laughs> Preach it, Paul. Preach it, Isaiah. <laughs> so, but I think that's so. Then coming back to the Mark passage, the fact that you have it starts out with this this man who was a probably a Gentile in this Gentile yeah. region, possessed by demons, um, the demons that seem prevalent in Gentile areas, is is rescued and had and Lord has mercy on him, right and. Jesus leaves him to tell the story of how the Lord had mercy on him. It, it and then you've got seemed, these Jewish people who also tremble at the Lord's yeah. word. So it's starting to show us that the true people of God, it's not defined based on your birth. It's based yeah. on whether you are the one who listens to, who humbles themselves before, before God. It, it almost seems as if like the people I'm, Referring to the demon possessed man, uh, that that portion, where it almost seems as though you know all the people were shocked to see him, which makes me wonder if beforehand this demon possessed guy, well, that's just how it's always been. Yeah, that's the norm. Like this is our place in the world. Yeah, uh, we're separate from Israel. This is who we like. This is just how things are. Yeah, and then sometimes all of a sudden, get, sometimes people get possessed by demons and go crazy. Yeah, and we never and hear. It's just you like, know, yeah, that's just how he is. The, we have to learn to live tombs. with it. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like, whoa! Something completely flipped the script, yeah. and <clears throat> the tables have been turned. And I, I have to wonder if they wondered, what does this mean? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think that that's why I, I'm convinced anyway, Mark continues on with the rest of the story with the, uh, with the dead girl and the, and the bleeding woman. The, to move back to, in, in what sense? Why, why does he continue so, that? Like, okay, this is, you may not understand it with just this one story, but let me continue. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let, let me give you, two more examples of what God is actually doing here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think 
that's it, it's interesting that um, between well, we don't need to talk about that. And the structure of, <laughs> of Mark, the fact that these three are put together is is kind of is kind of interesting, um, especially given what comes before it, which is Jesus calms the waves in the boat, right? Yeah. So he's demonstrating his power over all of these different domains: the power over over the natural world, the power over the spiritual world, the power over sickness and even death. So he's 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 on the march to demonstrate his his that he is the God of Israel. He is the true God who has power over all these things. And they they ask the question, which I'm sure the reader would too: Who is this guy? Yeah. Like even, even the, the wind, wind and, the waves and the waves obey him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that this sort of uh, it, it's both it's both amazing then to see how. In Isaiah, it flips the the script gets flipped because the ritual impurity is is signifies moral impurity. But then, as the as the prophecy goes on, it even says like, well, those who who are offering ritually pure sacrifices and who think they're in good shape before God that they're fit to bring a sacrifice, they are going to be. Uh, thumbs down before God, and the one who is excluded, or they exclude, that that person, if they tremble at my word, they tremble at Yahweh's word, that person's going to be included. And so, this is this is in you know perfectly clear from the story of Mark as we go on that it's not about who there there are going to be plenty of people in Israel in Jesus's day who don't recognize who he is. And so will not stand in, in the judgment. Yeah. But then there are going to be people from outside Israel and from within Israel who recognize him for who he is. Um, and people from all different walks of life, a synagogue ruler, um, a woman, a demon-possessed man, um, the woman who is um, from Syrophoenicia. So other examples. But um, it's just it's just amazing to see the ways that, again, Mark is going to these lengths to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that God made to to return and to redeem Israel, but not just to redeem Israel, to also redeem the Gentiles that he would call. And that's how the book of Isaiah ends, yeah. is with the Gentiles serving as as, as Levites and priests. Um, before, before Yahweh. So, how would you preach this? <laughs> Not in one Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack, especially uh, once once you get to the woman with the bleeding issue, with uh, how it's that her faith that healed her. Mm-hmm. And not the fact that she, she thought, well, if I just touch the hem of his cloak, something will happen, you know. Yeah. And Jesus says it's your faith that healed you. Right. It's not because the touch. It, yeah, it, because it was like it's not the fact, the idea that she touched it. It was who was wearing it. It's and, because and, and what of what the touch him. represents. Yeah. It was because it's him. him. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and the the same 
I mean, all of these three, these three people in desperate, in desperate straits, the people are the people who recognize their need for, yeah, for salvation. The people who say, I'm too pure, keep away from me. I'm, I'm too holy. Like in chapter 65, you know, are like the, the religious leaders that had no, no sense of their own need for uh, a savior, but someone who's trapped, possessed by demons, a man who's watching his daughter die. Um, well, and even in, in that one. situation, she, they, they know their need. Yeah. And they're, they're, they'll, they will, they will throw every, everything they have. Yeah. Um, and even in that one, when they, when they come and say, Hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is, has passed. It's kind of like, well, they had an idea of who Jesus was, just not the full extent. And right. Jesus is like, eh, st- no, just let me see her. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that um, you have this. Uh, mm, okay. Let me just make sure that I'm saying this right. <laughs> so when the, when the Jesus, when Jesus overhearing what was being spoken, that word overhearing is the same as in you misheard or you, I spoke and you didn't, you didn't hear. Um, it's used several times in 65 and 66, but he says to the synagogue official, do not be afraid, only believe, only believe. And so there, Jairus has the decision to make. He could say, I don't believe that this man who's capable of healing is also capable of raising someone from the dead, but he chooses to go on, like to go on with Jesus to the house. Um, and in a sense, what does he have to lose? Because he's already lost his daughter. Um, but it takes that step of faith to continue on. And you have this um, yeah. one, one parallel that I think we, I didn't quite, it didn't quite explore it enough in our, in the study I did with Sage, but chapter Isaiah 65 verses 17 to 24 is the, the new heavens and new earth passage. Uh, I behold, I create a new heavens and new earth. Um, and it, it says in there, it's, it's a rather, I'd say limited, um, you know, understanding of what the new heavens and new earth looks like. Cause it does include death, but I, I do think the new yeah. heavens and new earth doesn't include death, but, um, verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her, the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives only a few days or an old person who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of a hundred and the one who does not reach the age of a hundred will be thought accursed. Um, and they will also not give, labor in vain or give birth to children for disaster for they are the descendants of those blessed by the Lord. Um, so, so there's this sense of even... I think even just these these words of no 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 weeping and no crying, which the synagogue ruler's house was filled with weeping and crying. Yeah, professional ones too. Professional mourners, yeah. <laughs> right? And the youth who died at a, a young age of twelve, um, and yet th- there's still the hope, uh, a hope of new heavens and new earth, which Jesus is healing this girl, raising this girl represents. And we have to remember that. When Jesus heals someone or raises someone from the dead in the Gospels, that's not a permanent thing, right? I mean, all those people eventually died again. Well, I mean, it's right? not written in the, in the Bible that they died. 
after. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're still walking around there they're somewhere. somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is a revival, or their 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 yeah. bodies are revived. Um, but so so why does Jesus do that, and why does he heal some people and not others? It's not because he just didn't get around to it, or because he wasn't powerful enough. It's because these healings and these raisings from the dead are signs of what he is going to accomplish. First, first of all, what God was going to accomplish by raising him from the dead in his first coming, and what, and then a sign of what he is going to accomplish for all of us who, who are in Christ at the general resurrection. And so the fact that there's, uh, he, that he turns weeping into rejoicing and turns this, this death, this premature death of this girl into a full life, even though she dies again at some point. Yeah. And we hope she died at a ripe old age, but it's I, still I a sign. Imagine, it's still a sign of a future resurrection. Yeah, I could imagine when she's much older. It's like <laughs> been there, done that. Come on, bring it. <laughs> you know, I always wondered about the tombstones of those people. What numbers how they many put dates? on there? <laughs> it's almost like you know how Grover Cleveland was president for like two non-consecutive oh, yeah, terms. Yeah. So so on his uh, record, it's like, you know, 1885 <laughs> to 1889 or whatever, and comma, 1893 to 1897. Yeah. Well, on their tombstones, it'll be yeah, Lazarus, 4 <laughs> to 29 AD, Minus comma, <laughs> comma, 29 AD <laughs> to, you know, 80 or whatever he died, right? So I would love to yeah. love to see that or two having two death certificates, if yeah. they did death certificates back then. Yeah, you bring the I I lost the second one. Can, like is, is this just, one valid? Like I, do, I, do I still have all these do I still have to make those credit card payments? Yeah. I, does do those debts get discharged in death? Yeah. <laughs> Even four day death. Uh the, uh, the rabbit trails we we wander. Oh, I lo- I love these rabbit trails. I think if you're not thinking about rabbit trails enough, yeah. then you're not spending yeah. enough time with the Bible. That's that's what I think. <laughs> Yeah, I like to there's there's so much so much interesting stuff in here. So yeah, I, I just I think that these um these stories, I mean they they are they do tell us of God's love for for people who are afflicted and and even and and that they point us ahead still to even the greater redemption. Because again, the yeah. man, the man who was who lived the rest of his life, hopefully in his right mind and in service to God after having been freed from these demons, he still died, right? But we'll see him in the resurrection. We, yeah. we hope. And we'll see this woman and, um, tell me stories. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like? <laughs> Spill all the details. Yeah. I like the, the last verse in, in Mark five, uh, verse 43, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And told them to give her something to eat. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's like <laughs> girl's got to be hungry. <clears throat> well, I'm I'm wondering like what the scene looks like, you know? Because like, hey, if anybody finds out about this, like, what it's gonna do to me? Like, I just fed how many thousands of people, and they try to make <laughs> me their king. Like, I, I, we can't have this happen, you know? Like, so he's probably like, I'm wondering if he's like, yeah, I need. Can I escape out the back door? Or anything yeah. like that. And as he's walking out, he's like, oh, uh, by the way, give her something to eat. She's probably really hungry. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that, that definitely, yeah, it's definitely, he's thinking about her. He's also demonstrating that she is, she is alive, 
right? Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. you know, when Jesus, in his resurrection, he was given a f- piece of fish to eat, right? And, they, and he ate it um, and some bread as well that demonstrated that he was a real body and not just a, 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 a um, like a spirit raised yeah. like a ghost. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's his last act of, uh, you know, I think when we talked last time about the ways that God provides for his people, for his images, he fed his people in the wilderness and, uh, gave them water. And, uh, so he, he provides, provides for us. And he, so he's, he's not worried just about keeping our heart a lot, our hearts beating, but also, um, that we, he's worried about providing for our needs as well. Yeah. So. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Anything else you want to um, point out or just maybe as a postscript, I would say that, uh, I know that sometimes when you start talking, we start talking about ritual impurity and then as an old Testament person, I talk about ritual impurity a lot. And, um, there's a lot of misunderstandings about it and people might wonder, you know, why it is that certain things, especially a natural, a perfectly normal and natural healthy thing that happens to only one of the human sexes would render someone ritually yeah. impure. And I think that partly has to do with the, the use of the term impure. Maybe maybe a better term would have been impaired, or I had a professor who he, he wrote, he, he calls it uh, someone who is ritually challenged. <laughs> <laughs> So it just means, it doesn't mean, none of the ritual purity, it, it may be used as an image, like in this passage, of sin, of moral sin. Yeah. But the ritual purity laws themselves don't indicate someone in a state of sin or not sin um, because yeah. of their impurity. I mean, you can do perfectly fine things like, um, like having a child that renders you ritually impure. Marital sex would lead you, would leave both parties ritually impure for a uh, the, ne- the next 24 hours burying your uh, dead relative in a respectful way makes you ritually impure for a week so so whenever we're talking about these things we have to be i just feel like it's important to say to that it's not about moral sin when we look at that but yeah. but we if we can look past that and our discomfort or this the strangeness of thinking about ritual purity um, this, it's strange to us, then we can see the ways that the prophets and and the gospel writer use the impurity to to figure or to as as an image of sinful the alienation because of sin, and then how God chooses to overcome that by yeah. His grace. I've always thought, you know, we we still actually do some of those things, not for the oh, yeah. purpose of ritual purity or anything. Like, for example, like you want to respectfully bury your family member who had just mm-hmm. passed away. Uh, are you taking bereavement time? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, how many other examples there are? Like, we still do it. Why, why is the argument like against that kind of thing when it comes to <clears throat> considering it as uh, ritual purity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that'd be, be interesting to discuss sometime the, the, the function of laments. And like the rituals that not just not just ancient it, ancient Israelites or ancient peoples, but also many non-Western cultures today, good ritual rit, rituals surrounding death that actually 
do contribute to a sense of closure and healing yeah. um, and moving on. I remember um, when I was doing, I was doing some research on the book of lamentations and studying individual laments and lament practices. And then at the church we were attending at the time, there was uh, an immigrant family um, from, where were they from? Oh, this is terrible. I think uh, Congo. They were from the Congo. And they is this when refugees. you were in? Eastern uh, PA. Oh, you were, were in PA. PA. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the father, um, uh, they had so many, they had like two biological kids and then they had adopted all of these kids because of the civil war, all these orphans. So they came to the U.S. and they had like six or seven um, kids with them. And the father died rather young of cancer, like early 40s. Mm. And when he had a, when they had a funeral for him at our church, uh, you know, a mostly white suburban church in Pennsylvania, um, all of these um, people from Congo, Congolese refugees from all over the region, even people who didn't know uh, Mangala, wow. yeah. came and, and mourned with him. And there was like a room separate from the service where the service was happening, where there were these women wailing. And so it was, but it was part of their way of showing respect, pay, start of way of showing solidarity with the family. Um, and, and it was amazing how, just how, how different that felt, but also how when my father-in-law passed away a few years <clears throat> later, I was kind of wishing that there were some, that we had some rituals, you know, we yeah. white Americans of European descent without, <laughs> you know, very clear, uh, guidance. What, what do you do? Like, how long is it, you know, I guess you have to go back to work at some point, but how soon after that does my mother-in-law stop wearing her wedding ring? Does she? Um, yeah. When is it okay for my wife and I to, um, resume marital relations, you know, after your father-in-law dies, like, it feels like a week, two weeks. I, I don't even remember what it was, but it was, yeah. but it's like, in some cultures, there is a specific time. It's like, you don't do anything. You don't do, you don't have sex and people bring you food and all these things for like a week or a month, or it's a stat and you don't, you're excluded from or excused from certain obligations for even a year. And even if those are maybe seem too rigid, there's a, there's a beauty to them um, that gives at least some, some measure of closure and ability to move on. But yeah. But yeah, so I think just want to say something for yeah, ritual impurity, and I don't want anyone to hear these discussions and think that God hates uh, hates people yeah. because of things that yep. are beyond their control. It's it's really about uh, you know what this signifies. Um, yeah. So awesome, cool man. Thanks for uh, I hear some sirens out there. Thanks for hearing. Yeah. <laughs> what what have you done? Uh, what uh, thought crimes have we committed? Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're coming for us. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think we have committed any thought crimes or anything because Speak for usually our thoughts just come out anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank, thanks for coming on again. And like I said, you're, you're usual anymore. You're one of us. That's yeah, uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. So anybody that has comments, questions, and or <clears throat> concerns, you can contact us at contact at onefear.net. Check us out on Facebook. And Benj's website is think. Think I'll get hard, it down. Think hard, think, think well. well. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <clears throat> so, uh, per the usual, live such good lives.